good together. And we're back at Monica right after I took a tequila shot. Not sure that was the best idea to press the record button so quickly. Okay, and we're back. We have two guests. One runs the show. One is a part of the show. One appreciates the show. One's going to have to go back to the show real soon. Let's start with Alex. Alex, we chatted with you yesterday. Our team loves you. You got involved in the sold moniker planning pretty early. Came on out to BD's. How's it been? This has been a beast of a show, dude. Tell us about it from your your angle. Yo, it's been amazing. It's been a, a really good show. We've had a great turnout. We couldn't be happier. Everybody seems to be, uh, you know, really digging the vibe, and uh, there seems to be a really good energy inside. So, I mean, there's uh, there's no complaints on our side. Now, how would you rank the level of beard at the show? Because <laughs> the obviously you are you're rocking a real beard. For yeah, those who for don't know. And Optimo's got a dope beard. We're going to get That's there in a minute. That's everyone in the table right now that is of the masculine, masculine yeah. Perf- yeah. persuasion yeah. is beard. doing the beard. This is known as a Boston Whaler. Yeah, it's a smaller. The Alex is rocking the Boston Whaler. Long on the side and shorter on the mustache. And he's got the perfect hat. This is where a visual Also known as the Longshoreman ladies. Whoa. So, And he's rocking the hat that matches it. The beard game is strong with this one. Word. Thank you. Now, why don't you introduce the dude you're sitting next to and tell us why you are on together? All right, yo. So, I was uh, I was trying to figure out like my next steps, and so I shot out this email to uh, to my friend Angelo, and I was like, Angelo, you know about uh, anything that I can do in the art world? And he was like, Yo, I got this security job job gig, uh, or I got this friend who might need some help, and her name is Tina. Maybe you just shoot her an email. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm not really trying to work as like a security guard. So, you know, I'm going to try this other option, which was uh, contacting this girl named Zine, uh, Tina. And uh, it turned out that she was running Moniker. And then we started a conversation. Everything was great. And then uh, we took it from there. And fucking here we are. Now, Angelo, you can curse. You can do it. This is your show, brother. Now, Angelo, thank you very much for being a part of it. Why don't of you tell us a little bit about the auction house and, uh, you know, who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm Angelo Madrigal. I'm the vice president and director of contemporary art at Doyle, which is an auction house on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It's been around for about 55 years. I've been there for seven years. And um, in 2012, I launched the first street art auction in the United States. Um, there were you know, auctions that were really going great in the UK and throughout Europe, and there wasn't really anything here in the auction level, um, so I did that, and um, I continued to stay involved in this, uh, this scene, and I'm excited to be here at, at what turned out to be a really, really great fair, a lot of great people. Great. So who brought who? Um, well, you know, I, I knew Tina in advance of the fair. Um, I was working with um, uh, uh, Wayne Rada, who's doing the Overseeing Shout the out to Wayne. Shout Lisa out to Ray. Project. Shout out to Lisa Project. Sure. Lisa yeah. Project. Uh, let's just talk real quick about the work that they did. They, uh, they coordinated the work for some beautiful murals outside the, the, the festival. And uh, nice job, and hello to those guys. So. A whole lot yeah. of running around in orange vests. So, you know, Wayne uh, introduced me to Tina, and um, we stayed in touch, and as she was planning this... I just feel like, you know, I had a responsibility to, uh, with her not being from New York, to introduce her to as many people as we could. To get. Are you from New York? Um, I live four blocks away, my wife and I. So this has been a treat just to kind of walk down here and, and not have to 
take three trains and everything else. So it's fun yeah, it's to be been an good. ambassador for New York, no? Yeah, yeah, that's that's how it's felt. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, obviously Alex, we got him in here, and then uh, ASVP, who have a booth, that's great. Uh, I introduced them, and I feel like there's been a few other people involved as well that, that have come through. Tell us um, about your group. Yeah. Um, the auction house? Yeah, um, so uh, it's, it's your standard auction house in that we do everything. We have jewelry and uh, um, furniture and so on and so forth. Just so you know, forth. I work at Sotheby's oh, for do you really? a while, so I am so jealous of you right now. <laughs> well, you know, um, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's a job where it, it, it is what you make it. You have to make it fun. So building sales and making sure I'm including artists that... Um, I believe, you know, gets notoriety and gets some attention. Um, and then beyond that, appraising collections and working with the states. So it can be it can be a lot of complicated things. There's parts of it that are less than fun, um, negotiating contracts, things like that. But by and large, um, I, I have a role in the arts community that I'm very happy to have and I take very seriously. But um, I've gotten to do some things that I'm really proud of. So, Alex, have you ever attended an art auction? Uh... You know, yeah, absolutely I have, totally. Uh, I love auctions. And I just want to also go on the record saying that Angelo is a cornerstone of the movement. He's really done some amazing things in helping to, uh, to like, really grow the notoriety and just the, uh, the accessibility of street art. So uh, he's doing some really amazing things. So I'm, uh, I'm Let the record state, Andrew. Amazing. Word. Word. So uh, on, uh, all right, I want to I hand this over to Nicole. I think she's got substantially more experience than I have. Nicole, let's give us a good question. But not just a good question, Nicole. We want a question that makes Andrew, you know, kind of shift in the seat a little bit. Take a deep breath. Think about a good answer. I have my question already. Like, what was your largest street art? Um, Like, I know one cause was that, you know, other houses. Like, what was your largest... Largest sale? Uh, sale to date. Largest sale street in artist, to date. Street artist. Let's only. see. I mean, we've sold art recently in the in the you know high six figures. Um, I had a, uh, a Robert Indiana piece that uh, myself and our director of post war worked on, which was I think five hundred thousand something like that. But you know, really, what interests me more is um, looking at the auction world. Uh, people rank things by money, which is not great when it's art, but that's really how it you. is. I think it should be a visceral reaction to the work. So the thing is, if that's the way it is, I can't necessarily change that. But what I can do is, as I get sales for certain artists, a, a crazy price will get covered in the arts press, which means that artist's name gets in the arts press. So it, it's an end justifies the means sort of, sort of thing. Um, one specific example is the artist uh, Margaret Kilgallen. She was married to Barry McGee, uh, passed away in 2001. Fantastic artist, but passed away very, very young and didn't really have a lot of uh, shows under her belt, so got missed by a lot of museums and, and curators and things. So we had an auction. I sold work of hers. It got in the press, and it got her name attention again. Um, I'm, I'm a part of a very, very large system. So whatever I can do to kind of be a part of art history and kind of move the ball down the line for certain artists that, that I believe in that deserve more attention, 
Um, you know, money's always going to be what it is, and whenever you cross fine art with commodification and, and, and capitalism, there's going to be some uh, All right, let's, let's, some rough parts. Let's but, talk about yeah. that. Because when we were, I forget who we were speaking with earlier today, it was what the Shepherd Ferry was brought up. So when we talk about someone Skewville. that's going to, we're talking about Skewville, so we're talking about gentrification, we're talking about commodification, we're talking about the urbanization and, and modernization of everything. Change doesn't stop. So how do you, how do you draw the line between an artist that is setting the trends merely, uh, setting the trends as opposed to merely riding them? Um, you know, I think that when you're at auction, it's public, meaning that a gallery doesn't have to tell you what something sells for or if it's sold at all, but the auction world, everything is public. So in a way, it's like if you, if you as an artist are a company and you take your stock public, you kind of can't go backwards after that point. So before I take an artist on, a work of an artist on, whether I'm getting it directly from them or from a collector or a gallery... I want to make sure I know who the people are that are buying and that I have as close to enough of a sure thing so that I'm not risking them because um, I don't want to do them harm. I only, at my best, want to be a benefit to these artists. So if I put something out there at an auction and it fails to sell, I've done the opposite of what I set out to do. I've now put a black mark on their career. You actually career. need the collectors way in advance to know, like, Right? Yeah. To give it some a platform. A yeah. Higher platform. So minimize the risk. That's that's really really all it is. Okay. So let's talk about that mm-hmm. because you're, you're you're not speaking from the artist side of the brain. You're speaking from the logical. We have a list of, of tasks to accomplish in order to present. Actually, this I art think he is work. speaking from the artist because he has such a love. Well, of he's the speaking art. on behalf of the yes. artist, but he's using his logical. Uh, he has a business brain, brain right, if right, you right. will, to, to, mm-hmm. to control this. So my question is, and I'm a business guy, I'm a project manager, I'm an IT guy. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you quantify the intangible? How do you look mm-hmm. at an artist who you've just met and determine their demographic of customers, brother? That must be impossible to do when it, you're meeting someone. It's it, well known artists. I have a feeling with your well. With your I mouth. mean, yeah. You know, I mean, I really. I feel like information is power. So be out and see everything and talk to everyone. Um, that's that's really what it is. So the peers of mine in the industry who aren't out at fairs like this aren't going to meet people like yourselves and have these conversations. So it's all cumulative. Um, the information that you get, the knowledge that you get, it's not a perishable. It's not going to go away. You can build on that. Now, I, I think that's an important point in that information and this type of knowledge is imperishable because anyone, I don't care what your industry is, you have to fill your quiver of arrows with as many skills and abilities as possible. You're, you're in a gallery, you're in an auction, you're trying to sell a piece, you're trying to sell photos, it doesn't matter. It's. I think the auction model is so much more interesting than the gallery model because it's just today. It's just right now. And can we get the interest of the interest can we get the interest of the buyers on us right now? It's almost you're 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 almost asking to go instantly viral 
for this individual artist? How does that... Like, well, do, do you think about things I, like that? Again, you know, as I'm out in a fair like this or visiting galleries, whatever the case is, um, it's... I'm not going zero to 60 with an artist. So much of the work has been done already. Auction happens so much later in an artist's career, oftentimes long after they've passed. So... Um, by the time I'm considering something, uh, very good gallerists have done their work. There's maybe a museum interest, an institutional interest. So I know that there is a foundation. I can't just come in at the beginning of an emerging artist's career and bring it to auction. That's just not how it works. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, but the trick now with... Uh, when I was originally bringing street art to auction, so many... Uh, of the great artists never really worked with a gallerist. You think about the most pioneering New York graffiti artists. They had done some of their best work, most known work at least, at age 14, 15 years old. So they obviously weren't showing with galleries and that work isn't even available to be purchased or seen. It's It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. It's been buffed off a train and the building's been knocked down, whatever the case is. So, um, you know, if there's no gallery that I know is going to support the artist at auction, I have to make sure I know who the collectors are, who the uh, institutional interest is, things like that. So um, every artist's case is different. It changes from season to season and even month to month sometimes. Um, and again, just being on top of the information. Uh, there's a reason why baseball players watch so much videotape of pitchers. They're reading their hands and they're studying and that they're collecting all that info. So when they come up to bat, they kind of know what should be happening. Sure it's still... Exactly. So it's still chance, but you're minimizing the risk Correct. in that chance. Correct. It's calculated risk. Yes. Now, talk to us about later stage in their career artists, professionally uh, working artists, people that have made their way for years. Would they want to be in auction? Is that, a, is that something to be desired and why? Uh, some do and some don't. Um, again, it's like going public with your stock. So the, the, there's, there's downside to auction. Obviously, the one is that if something fails to sell, does that harm your actual career? There have been instances, and I've seen this firsthand, where people are looking at auction records for an artist standing in the gallery where they're being exhibited because they want to know, okay, if I spend $10,000 or $50,000 on this, what chances do I have if I need to to resell this? What's the return on investment? This yeah. is a business is it investment, an investment for a lot of people. Sure, yeah. It's not just they love the piece. Yeah, absolutely. They to protect their money. Absolutely. Even if you do love it and you should, if you buy art that, that, that you, you want to collect, you should love it. You should... There's, there's plenty of things to choose from. You can always find great art that you believe in. Now, Nicole, have you been to auctions? Yes. What was... Tell us... Now, I've never been to an art auction. Oh, yes. I went to a little, like, uh, uh, like a county fair type of thing. with Sunflowers. Sunflowers. So, I don't know anything about it. Tell, give us a fun auction experience. Yeah, you, Sunflowers, Van Gogh, when I worked at Sotheby's. Um, that was amazing to be part of. Sunflowers, uh, Van Gogh. Sunflowers by Van Gogh. Sure, of course. Uh, it was amazing to be part of. Amazing to watch the live action. Um, I recently, not auction, recently saw a particular family that we'd all know buy an entire wall of paintings at a show. Uh-huh. And I watched them admire the art 
and then just say, I want that, meaning seven paintings, 50 grand a piece, 60 grand a piece. Auction is very quick. You raise your paddle, you make a nod. But when I worked at Sotheby's, I do remember often people were on the phone, Saatchi family, etc. at the time, uh, they would call in. And it was just so fast-paced. And it was millions of dollars being exchanged at that very moment, but very quickly paced. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, again, uh, going back to a sports analogy, when you're in the moment of the physical auction, you're talking seconds. Mm-hmm. So it's that preparation again. You uh, hopefully have lined up people on the phones, people in the room with their paddles, uh, absentee bids, meaning people have said, put me down for X amount and bid on my behalf, all those things. And at this point, it's, um, and this is true of most major auction houses, it's global. I mean, we might have 40, 50 different nations bidding in any given sale. So I'm on the phone with someone from Japan. In the room are people that traveled in from Dubai. Um, Another colleague is on the phone with someone uh, on the West Coast. You know, everything is at play. No, I have a question. Just was it ever announced who got Da Vinci? Was it ever uh, announced? announced who got it? I mean, I don't know specifically. I've I've read differing articles. Me too. Um, but I'm yeah, with you. Um, okay. yeah. Now I I have a question just from my uh, you know just scouring the news about art auctions. Mm-hmm. The recent Basquiat sale. Yes. That was 110 million dollars. That set records both for the highest work of art ever by an American artist and the highest amount paid ever for a work of art produced after 1980. Yes. What does that? I mean, I'm putting myself in your shoes, and Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm talking about for a second. But yip the fucking e. Am I wrong? You know, I think this is this is the pitfall. I was talking to someone. who is a, is a private collector and a knowledgeable, intelligent person, and they said something to the effect of, I don't feel that Basquiat should be selling for more than Picasso. Good for his opinion. Right. Right. Which is, but, but here's the thing. We as people have come to rank things by dollar value. Yes. If you love an artist's work more than another artist's work, the fact that someone paid more for it is really neither here nor there. If you get hung up with that, that it's it's it, for me it cheapens the experience. For everybody, it's different. Now, the sale of that Basquiat was very very successful, as you may know. Anina Nose, his dealer, sold that painting originally for five thousand dollars in I believe nineteen eighty two, the year it was painted. I, yeah, I think. Um, and so it changed hands a few times, and it's now it's now this. But you know, it, who it's knew just, back then that he could have been? It's absolutely this? another reason to buy art from living artists Correct. because you're going to pay a good price, and who knows, you might end up putting your kids through college one day because you did. I, I would say this: you must vote with your dollars. If you believe in an artist and you support that artist, there may be others like you that step up. Sometimes when money gets involved, people don't trust their own eyes. So you'll see sometimes a feeding frenzy for a certain artist who you might not believe in. No, Angela, let's say it a different way. Let's talk to the ladies on the panel. Ladies, you have looked at something in a store and assigned a monetary value of that without ever looking at the tag. You have said, I will pay this for that. And the tag and said, oh my God, it's less. Am I wrong? 
Oh, yeah. I like to buy art as much as I possibly can as a collector. And there are some times I'm quite surprised by that tag, the price tag, so to speak. It's only like, you know, artists that I love. So viscerally, and sometimes I'm like, holy shit, that's so cheap. And then I just get it. And then within 10 years, that artist is tripled, quadrupled. I don't know the other words for it. Um, Quintupled, sextupled, septupled, octupled. I'm completely just very happy for my children. I, 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 I think my point is to what you're saying, though. Had you not supported them back then, would they have continued on to success? You're part of what, with, with your money that supports their work, you're part of what allows them to continue on. Um, this is why I never get hung up on this concept of selling out or if artists do graphic design work, or this and that. I feel artists should get paid, and I would rather see them taking on a graphic design project than having to wait tables or something and not being able to create work. So however it gets there, and however we all can help them get there, that's good. This is, this is something I love so much about street art, and this is how I've discovered 99% of the street artists that I love, is that I've found their work without knowing who they are. And I'm wandering... On the streets, on my feet, it's maybe snowing, it's maybe 95 degrees, and I see a mural, and I love it, and I photograph it. I don't know who they are. I don't know. This is more in the beginning, right? The beginning of Instagram, the beginning of, of being introduced into street art. But having that, um, that experience with the art without a, a necessarily, you know, a, 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 I won't put it in an adjective, but a gallery setting, you know, and you can say, I love this artist, I don't know who they are, and then you maybe find out months later, oh, they're actually, quote unquote, a big deal. Or maybe they're not, and that makes me love them more. But there's something so endearing about I that of not knowing. artists that other people don't know also. Yes. Well, it's all about discovery. Well, and the right. thing that's, that's great. Thing. And not yeah. with the setting yeah. of walking in necessarily all the time to a setting where you already know that they're uber famous or, or that this piece costs X amount of dollars. It's sort of nice to say, you know what, I just love this work for what it is without knowing who they are. Yeah, well, graffiti might be the only art form that isn't curated. Think about any time you see or hear entertainment. If you listen to the radio, someone has chosen those songs. If you watch TV, someone has chosen those performers. If you go into a gallery, someone right. has curated that gallery. Right. Any, anything goes in the street. Now, there's a lot of bad work because no one's stopping that work from existing. But we have the opportunity to see things without someone having uh, curated it for us beforehand, which is, it, 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 it gives us the opportunity for discovery. Absolutely. So question for you, Angelo. As a pioneer in bringing street art into the auction realm and the, the you know, more professional realm of, of art sales, um, what do you see for the future of street art in terms of galleries and auctions? And, and it is, we know, we know it's trending right now and we love that, but what do you see in 5, 10, 15, 20 years for street art in the professional art sphere? Well, I think that... Um Something that I've seen that's been fascinating, and, and a lot of this is not new necessarily, but the idea of materials, different materials. When we typically think of graffiti, we think of aerosol spray paint. Um, New York graffiti, bombing something, you know, just getting uh, wild style tags, whatever, whatever it may be, largely is going to be aerosol based. 
yet you have artists like Swoon and Fail using uh, wheat paste, um, you know, uh, using uh, stencils with, with Shepard Fairey, um, and then there's some someone like Cause making um, product objects that are uh, more attuned to maybe what Murakami has done and Jeff Koons, but still related to that scene. So I think as we move forward, we'll see more and more artists playing with what you can actually do in the street. Skewville is an excellent example of that. Um, not only are they using found materials and different materials, but they are incorporating the space. They'll consider that in designing something. So oftentimes, you'll see something that they've done in the street, and they've used what's around them. It's not just piece of art on wall. It's something that encompasses that space. How about a good example of somebody that did that well besides Skewville? Oh, boy. Um, the, there was a piece at the Five Points ages ago that used one of the kind of, um, I don't know, exhaust pipes or something and put a face on it and was manipulating the space and using that architectural element. Was that, was that a 3D? Yeah, yeah. So imagine uh, when you walked into Five Points and there was the big kind of uh, parking lot area in the, in mm-hmm. the center, there was a large pipe. Correct, uh, and, correct. Yeah. There was uh, some sort of um, figure and they were extending their hand out. Yes, that's And so when you would step into the hand, it almost looked as if they were holding you up. Sure. So it was, a three, it was that 3D effect. I think, did Mears do that? I believe that one was by Mears. He at least put the light bulb on the kid's shirt. We know that for correct. sure. <laughs> now, let, me, let me take it in a slightly different direction. Uh, we spoke earlier about Shepard Ferry again, but how do you feel about... And I'm sorry, let me ask it a little more specifically. Would you sell or represent the sale of a work that wasn't commissioned by the artist? Absolutely not. Thank you um, very much. Now, you know, hold on. Let, yeah. me, let, me, let me just tell our listeners mm-hmm. why, and then you'll tell us. Uh, let me tell the listeners sure. what we mean. I'm talking about the things where uh, Banksy puts a piece on a building and they carve out the wall. Next thing you know, it's been flipped three times. Or the movie, How to Sell a Banksy, where a kid ripped a, a wheat paste off the street. Now he's trying to become a millionaire for it. That instant come up type of BS that I'm glad you instantly said absolutely not. Tell us why that's not acceptable for even someone that doesn't give a shit about their reputation in the industry. Tell me why that's not okay. Um, I turn down a lot of work, and a lot of what I turn down that is street art related is in fact that. It's things taken from the street that the artist never intended for sale. And what I tell people when they don't understand why, because they see someone has sold a Banksy for $300,000, they chopped out of a wall, whatever the case is, I explain it like this. There are flowers in the park, right? You go to Central Park, there are flowers there, right? If you pluck those flowers, that is illegal. You can be arrested, you can be fined. Why is that? Because it's for the public's enjoyment. Amen. You can go to a flower shop and buy all the flowers you want, do with them what you wish. You have not deprived the public of anything. Those are flowers meant to be resold to people. There are artists doing work in the street that also have a studio practice, meaning they create work for sale that is intended to be owned privately by you. So leave it in the street, collect the work that gets the artist paid, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a pawnbroker. This isn't cash for gold. Gross. It's gross. It's absolutely gross. Well, and that reminds me of Space Invader, and I love the fact uh, exactly that wherever he puts his think. pieces up, he goes to places like Home Depot and Lowe's because he doesn't want them to be special enough that people can do anything with them if they steal them. My Anybody can recreate them. So you know. And he yeah. does that on purpose. And, and 
I would believe because of how they're constructed in the street, were you to try to remove them, they'll basically disintegrate in your hands. Yeah, well, you can see where people have tried and oh, destroyed absolutely. pieces yeah, yeah. all yeah. over our city. Yeah, yeah. it's so, like peeling a sticker off a light yeah. post. You know, it's so just not going to work. I, I can speak for the listeners. I can speak for the panel. This is a fascinating topic. I, I could ask another 50 questions just about representing the right type of work or how to bring the right type of work into the scene. Uh, I want to kick it around the table just for one more round of questions for Angela. This is fascinating. I'm inviting you in. Uh, JPO's only done this once before, and it was Chris RWK. But, brother, you are the favorite interview of mine of the show so far. Thank you. Because it's, it's, it's not about what Big Ronnie thinks. It's about what our listeners need. Sure, and what our listeners, that, yeah. the artists need, are good guidance and management on the way up. So I really would like to invite you in for a long format chat. Let's bring yep. an artist that you're interested in, and let's talk about some stuff out there. Uh, but let's kick it around the table. Let's start with Kaylin. Kaylin, you got a question for Angela on the way out? Um, let's see. Angelo. Yes. What did you... I, well, it's a two-point question. What did you enjoy most about Moniker? Moniker U.S.? edition yes um which you were a big part of um and what did you find to be the most unique about moniker versus all the other art fairs that we've attended here in new york yeah um uh last question first um art fairs typically aren't this um community oriented um art fairs are incredibly expensive for galleries to stage not only is there the booth, but there is the shipping and the lodging and eating and insurance. So it's something where they need to make that money back and make relationships. So they are in a position where they are selling, selling, selling. This has a different feel where you're talking directly to artists. You're talking to people from uh, other parts of the world. And um, it's a more experiential community feel so it's it's very different from you know if you go to freeze this week or other fairs uh just different in that way so um my favorite things that i've seen um again i I, at, at doyle our first ever in the company's history selling exhibition meaning this wasn't an auction meaning i took over the space and just had a gallery for a weekend was asvp and skewville and that was a lot of fun. And anytime I get to see them and new work that those guys make, I'm, I'm very excited. Next question. Sure. Nicole. I was wondering what is the next um, auction that you're running? Yeah, I have a sale. I actually left my exhibition a little early today and snuck out to get here mm-hmm. for to, to visit with all of you. Um, so that sale is my major contemporary sale for this season. Uh, and that happens on Wednesday. So I'm really very focused on that. I also have another uh, sale, which is an online-only auction on Artsy as part of Doyle as well, which features a, a work by ASVP, um, a canvas by Futura, um, mm. prints by Days and Crash and Ronnie Cutrone and a number of other artists, and that ends on Wednesday as well. Okay, thank you. I have to look out for that. Thank you. Claudia? So I just wanted to make a comment. Um, Earlier you mentioned a couple of things about graffiti writers as opposed to artists. And I just, you know, being close to graffiti writers and the culture and having experienced it most of my life, I just just think that it's a different mindset. It's a different 
um, even support group, you know, for graffiti writers. So for them to make that transition over to auction houses or even galleries, unless they're upscaling their work and bringing their, you know, evolving their work, you know, yeah, you're not going to find that. In, it's in it's it's very true. Now I was explaining this to someone actually earlier today. The duress uh, a graffiti artist is under if they are in a tunnel, let's say, uh, spray painting a train, or they're doing anything illegal. To create art, just wondering when a dog is going to bite you, when the police are going to show up, that's something that other artists don't experience. You, you know, the police are probably not going to kick down the door of your studio and stop you from painting. The vandal squad. <laughs> well, there's that. Yes. Um, so for someone, uh, pick any great uh, New York graffiti artist, Lady Pink or Carlos Mayer, or any of those classic people, transitioning from doing illegal work to now doing a studio practice, of course the work is going to be different somewhat. Um, but, you know, the, the great artists are able to make that leap. Um, Crash is someone who... Tats Crew. Um, Tats Crew, yeah, yeah. And another great example of an artist that gives back to the streets. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Wallworks is not for his work. He doesn't hang his work on right. the walls And it's a gallery. fantastic space in a neighborhood that desperately needs it. Now, Doyle actually purchased a building in, uh, in the Bronx, maybe six or eight blocks from Wallworks. And Crash came out and painted the wall for free as a gift to us and his community. And he's a great person who represents the best of all the things I'm laboring to explain. Bring us home. Bye, girl. Oh, gosh. I don't really have a question other than what is your single favorite piece of art you've ever sold at auction? Sure. Again, I'll go back to Margaret Kilgallen. She's, a, she's an artist I feel is really, really special um, and uh, is wholly influential. If you talk to someone like Stephen Powers, Espo, who um, uh, knew her, um, and uh, uh, Jim Hauser from Philadelphia, you can see touches of what she did in in their work you can see the influence obviously you can see it very well in the work of Barry McGee um, but you know what really um, made an impression on me before the piece sold I had the exhibition open and um, it's the Upper East Side and it's an auction house that's not a it's, it's inviting if we make it right but it's intimidating yet young women were coming in to see that piece and thanking us because they loved her so much and there's few opportunities to see her work in person. And it kind of dawned on me just how important she was and in the things that she did, um, not only in her studio practice, shows with the Deitch Projects, but also studying um, uh, hobo uh, art on freight trains and um, her work in creating oh, books. Oh, back to monikers. Cool. Exactly, exactly. There we go. Um, the fact that she uh, did this and, and inspired a, a new uh, generation of, of young women, um, I, I, I guess I knew it, but I didn't realize it until someone said it to me who was probably 15, 16 years old. And um, uh, because of that, every time I get to handle a piece of her art, it's, it's very, very special to me. Oh, That's I great. have another question, actually. Follow-up question from Nicole. What? Is your favorite piece hanging in your house? No, that was my question. You stole <laughs> sorry, my question, Nicole. Sorry, you can't follow up and steal sorry. my question. I'm sorry. Not favorite. We could, I'm going we could to alter it. it slightly and say, who's hanging in your home? My oh, wife and I, um, we, we have, obviously, it's a Brooklyn apartment, and it's not a g giant mansion. So everything we bring home has to be very carefully thought out sure. because the space be. it takes up is space you don't have for something else. 
So um, there are a number of uh, young artists uh, that we really love, uh, that we've, we've collected pieces here and there when we can. There's an artist from New Orleans, uh, uh, Skylar Fine. Um, he's done a lot of really impressive things over the years um, that, that we've loved for a while. Um, there's also uh, artists and illustrators that come maybe from the underground comic world that, that we really love and we'll get little things here and there. Um, um, Devin Troy Struther is an artist that shows at Marlboro Contemporary. He just had a show of editions at Printed Matter that ended last week. We got one of everything when we were there. We, we love his work. Thank you. That's great to know also. I love Printed Matter. Angela, thank you so much. Uh, this Thanks, was very guys. informative to me. Obviously, uh, I'm from the other side of the brain. I'm a businessman. I like doing deals. I like understanding how deals are done. And now I'm using my powers for good and helping artists. Very good. So uh, please let our listeners know where they can find uh, your organizations and businesses online. Yes. And what your upcoming uh, events are. Yeah. Uh, Doyle. New York Doyle is the uh, auction house the website is D-O-Y-L-E dot com uh, you can see all of our sales uh, you can read an article that I wrote recently on Richard Hamilton the great artist who passed away uh, just this past October um, you can also come visit us 175 East 87th Street so if you're visiting the Guggenheim we're four blocks away um, and yeah you know um you can check in with us on Instagram, Doyle New York, and please stop by, please visit, please drop me an email, say hi. Uh, we're always up to something. Yeah. Thank you very much, sure. brother. Oh, thanks thank for you so in. much, Angelo. Thanks for having me, guys. We are Absolutely sold out pleasure. with Angelo from Doyle. Thank you.